Welcome to this episode of Upcycling with Deb. I'm your host, Deb Colometta. You can reach me on the website, thedebsite.com, or through my Facebook page, Instagram, and Twitter at Deb Colometta, C-O-L-A-M-E-T-A. My book, Best Offer, Best Life, went to number one in its category on Amazon, and I love hearing from listeners. Today, we're addressing a topic that is a big stressor for just about everybody in pandemic and affects everyone in the world, food safety. My guest today is Dr. Darren Detweiler, and he has spent the last 25 years of his career impacting food technology and food policy at the federal level. He's written a brand new book called Food Safety Past present and predictions. And he's here today to help give us some workable tips, things we can do immediately to improve our safety, both in pandemic and beyond. And also, um, we'll tie it into a very interesting way that he has found to bring back souvenirs from the trips that he takes around the world, talking and educating people on food safety. Dr. Darren Detweiler, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you very much. So one of the burning questions that I have for you, um, I had read one of the articles that you had been quoted in. You were talking a little bit about how to make sure that you're keeping the food safe that's coming into your home. We hear that one of the big stresses for families is going grocery shopping and then coming back and trying to wipe down all the groceries with disinfectant wipes and spraying them down. And sometimes I have to be honest with you, it makes me cringe because I don't like to think of disinfectant products and chemicals being close or anywhere near my food. Talk to me a little bit about how we can keep our food safe as it comes into our homes during the pandemic. I think this is a great question and definitely one of those topics that, you know, for the most part, we don't have to be in a pandemic or or in some kind of an economic crisis or public health crisis to think about some of these things. Food is so diverse in how it's defined. We have commercially packaged goods. We have ready to eat foods. We still have canned goods and dry goods and frozen goods, uh, fresh goods. Um, you know, we can get food at a grocery store, we can get food at a restaurant, and there's even the hybrid between grocery store and restaurant. Um, but when we're trying to make sure that we have the food that we want, or, or at least that will will serve our needs, we need to think about it in terms of um, a lot of different concerns today that we were thinking about before. We've heard about people who are shorting. We've seen the aisles at the grocery store that are empty. We can't get some of the things that we used to buy. Um, we're worried about bringing food into our home. Do we wipe it down? Do we, do we handle it differently? And we're also worried about two areas that are uh, near and dear to my heart. One is food waste. Um, you know, we can, we can buy a ton of, of fresh produce, but if we don't use it in a timely manner, it spoils. Um, it becomes a, of a quality that we, we no longer want to consume it, but it also can kind of uh, cross that line in terms of now it's creating a food safety hazard. Food safety is another issue, uh, and it's something that I wrote about in my book, a brand new book called Food Safety, Past, Present, and Predictions. 
It looks at 25 years of change, not only in terms of food safety and food policy, but also in terms of how consumers have changed their behavior, have changed their relationship with food. We have so many people that are on diets today and they're measuring things, they're proportioning things, they're pre-cooking things, and they don't know about how to keep it in the refrigerator safe, how to store it properly, the right temperature. They don't know how to wash it. Do you wash it after you buy it or do you wash it before you consume it? Throw on top of that the fact that some of the primary reasons why people are leaving the house these days are to go grocery shopping, uh, to bring that food into their house. And if we are wasting food, then we're going to have to go grocery shopping more often. Also, if we're wasting food because we're not using it properly or we're not using it fast enough, to me, it's almost an insult to all those people, all those essential workers who are putting their lives and their friends' and family's lives in jeopardy by doing the work in the, in the fields, in the distribution, in the food manufacturing and processing and retail and restaurant to make sure that we get the food. The, the, the most sincere thing we could do is to, to not waste that food and to not create a situation where the food ends up harming others. So I do think that there's a way to look at how we relate to food differently these days. You want to be kind of mindful of the fact that, you know, if you go to a big box store and get a ton of lettuce, it may be economical, but if you can't eat that lettuce before it starts going bad, then why you're wasting money now. You need to have a blend of using the frozen and the canned goods um, so that you can extend out uh, the, the foods that you're eating. Don't get more than you really need to get because there are other options out there. A lot of people will save, you know, 10, 15 cents by buying one carton of eggs versus another carton of eggs. And that may make sense to you. But if you realize that that slightly cheaper uh, price of eggs or milk or dairy or some foods have a wick or other similar um, type logo next to it, meaning that, you know, those who have supports, uh, support revenue for their foods, uh, women, infant care, there's other, there's other versions, SNAP. They don't have the ability to, uh, to, to make choices. They, they have very limited uh, choices in terms of the products that qualify for that money. And if we buy the food that's meant realistically for other populations, then we're not doing the, the best service we could be doing to others. That is such an insight. I never even thought about that. I never even thought about the, the WIC symbol on the food. Ever since I saw your interview on Facebook, I have been thinking about all of the people who were affected in the supply chain um, getting to the, getting the food to my table and the enormous amount of respect. And we see on the internet, we see that people are crying out for us to be wearing masks to show support for the healthcare workers. And in that same way, we can show respect to the food supply chain individuals who risk their lives to help us get sustainable, nutritious food on our tables. Now, I have a very small kitchen, so I have a natural process for 
weeding out extra food. I can't go on a massive food shopping trip because there's literally no place to put the food except two cabinets, two small cabinets. So it's a natural selection of if I can't start to close the cabinets, then I know I'm, I need to back off and I try to buy, you know, use up some of that for food first. The right thing to do is just to right size your food shopping list. Like in any area of life, you want to go for balance. Don't just be eating canned goods and processed foods, which is something that we're unfortunately all doing um, more of these days, but try to get that balance. Go to farmer's markets, get your produce, but respect what it took to bring it there. So I, I do talk in my book about food clutter. I do something called a trip around the world with my family when I cook because we might have a little bit of leftover pasta, maybe a little bit of leftover Chinese food, and none of it makes sense as a meal, but if I put it on the counter and I call it a trip around the world, <laughs> we eat through our leftovers before we start cooking something new, and we rarely throw away food because of that. Um, and we rarely throw away food because we all have big appetites, um, but we are trying to respect that process. You know, so, talking about respecting that process, though, um, I, I, I have this as a musical reference, but it's also a submarine reference. So I spent six years in the Navy on a submarine, and the most limiting factor for a submarine is having enough food to feed the crew. And we would do the same things, and any leftover food would be somehow repackaged, reheated, um, and, and turned into sometimes a new meal. Um, but there was, you know, not only was there no room for waste, but there was no need for waste. When you have 150 people and you have a limited amount of food, you want to make sure that it's going to go far. So perhaps some of my concern over uh, food waste uh, comes from not only, um, you know, my childhood, but my time in the Navy looking at the idea that we could not waste the food and we could not cause for food to uh, endanger uh, due to food safety failures of the, the crew. You don't have to be in a submarine to think about food that way and you don't have to be in the middle of a public health concern or a pandemic to think about food that way because those people who we're labeling as essential workers within the food industry, they're always and have always been essential workers in our lives and in our society, in our communities, and in a larger global scale. So I think if we just uh, spend some more time, you know, think about that idea about not so much having what you want, but truly wanting what you have. And how are we gonna use that? And what are the messages that we're gonna hand down to our children um, in terms of the meals that we prepare together and serve as a family? And if we, we think about those, it could make a big difference, not only in our homes, but far beyond. And also your budget, your food budget. Sure. You know, I think of any time I buy deli meat, if the kids all of a sudden decide, eh, this week we don't like turkey and I can't get through it fast enough, I literally feel like I'm throwing a $10 bill in the garbage along with the turkey meat. So I make sure that I buy exactly how much we need or a little less because I can't stand the thought of throwing away that food um, or throwing away the produce if there's too much. You have to think about that. And especially on during the pandemic, I've noticed that our food bill and our credit card bill has been so much lower for a number of reasons, but our food costs have been down. We've been going out to dinner a lot less. We have one restaurant that we patronize and you can only go so many times a week. You you just start to think about what you're spending on the food. You don't, like you said, you can't make those extra trips. So the pandemic has really caused us to reset our food budget 
in a way that I hadn't anticipated. There are two new things that have been really escalating over the last couple months. One is the rise in people using apps to have other people do their shopping for them. And you're paying a premium on top of that. And in most cases, you're buying the most expensive brand of ketchup or the most expensive bottle of mayo or the most expensive box of cereals. You're not necessarily making those economic decisions in person. Plus you're paying a premium for that person for their services. And of course you're putting other people into the mix, not, on, not only in terms of their health and safety, but also in terms of the number of total hands that are touching your food. Also, the apps where you can have a restaurant deliver food. So now um, you have your workers preparing this food so that someone else can come pick it up. And again, you're paying a premium on top of that, plus a tip for the restaurant, plus a tip for the delivery. You start looking at how much you're actually paying for this uh, on a regular basis. You end up spending a lot more money for the services and the taxes and the, and the tips uh, in terms of the total value of the food that you're eating. Then there's another option where so many people now are finding some of these local farms that have shifted their operations such that you can literally buy a $25 box online, drive up in this kind of contact-free environment where you, you, you give them your order number and they take your driver's or your license plate in your name and you literally pull up and open up the back or the trunk or whatever and you've got this box of right from the farm, fresh tomatoes and mushrooms and lettuces and even potted basil or whatever. And what you've done is you've cut out so many middlemen and the, the actual price per value, if you will, that, that value for what you're eating is, is now increased. Plus, if you've got a family with, with small kids, that idea of, hey, let's get in the car, let's go on a trip, let's go out to this farm, and let's see how you know, our views of farms have changed even over the last few weeks. Because in most cases, kids can't see how farms have changed in 50 years, because 50 years doesn't mean anything to them. But 50 days do mean something to them. And to see that one more way in which we can add not only economic value and nutritional value uh, and keeping a, a, a local farm in business, but also how we're improving and enriching the lives of our children. I love that. And, you know, you reminded me of something important. We actually got starter plants from a local farm. It took us about two hours. Uh, I mean, people joke about what it's like to bake with kids underfoot. Try planting a garden. <laughs> I mean, they're digging the roots up. They're, you know, putting the potting soil in the wrong place. They're playing, sitting inside the planters. I mean, the whole process took the whole afternoon. But we now have basil and herbs and spices that I use every day when I cook to flavor things so I don't have to use the salt and the sugars. And now we're, um, we're getting a little impatient because we're waiting for the basil to grow. And boy, it takes a lot longer than we thought. And to your point, we appreciate it more. And now they have an appreciation for where the food comes from, both from the farm that we were able to support as a small business and help them sustain themselves, and also in our backyard watching some something grow and doing an activity. Um, I'm not a crafter. I don't like to do Pinterest things, but I like to cook or do things that are consumable. 
crafts, that's clutter. But <laughs> but a, a garden that I do with my kids, that's something that kind of goes away at the end of the season. So in its outdoors. But I would imagine that after the season, those experiences and memories will last a very long time. I agree for both of for all of us. For all yeah. of us. So, you know, we were, we were talking a little bit about your story and your incredible history. I mean, you've been a food specialist consulting with food regulation for over 25 years. You are traveling around the world, not in the pandemic, uh, but you're traveling around the world and collecting souvenirs from all the places where you educate different audiences on the importance of food safety. So can you tell me a little bit about how you got your collection to be sure. uh, where it is today, such a finely tuned collection of things that tell your story? What I collect is um, dominated by this idea of it has to be part of telling my story. So as a person who has a background in history uh, and, and a background in food, and I'm a TV and movie fan, uh, lunchboxes is right there at that kind of Venn diagram circle. So I have a lunchbox for uh, uh, the $6 million man. I have a lunchbox for the submarines. There actually was one. Not that I collect all lunchboxes, not that I collect all GI Joes or all action figures from the $6 million man, collecting all the action figures from the $6 million man or, or from emergency. I, I'll never be someone who collects all of these items, but it's just a quick, simple display uh, that I could add to, and I have added to. It also reflects the, the historian in me to some extent. It's not about having everything you want. It's about really wanting what you have. And my book, Food Safety, uh, Past, Present, and Predictions, not about necessarily the messages in the book. My focus and part of my drive was to include the why behind the law that was passed. Legislators were now driven to say that their constituents are now being impacted in more ways than they had thought before, and this became much more of a policy issue. And when you start to understand that, it starts to really impact the overall culture of food safety, not only for consumers, but also for those who work in the food industry and those who are going to be making decisions. So that idea of understanding the why and understanding the, you know, the story behind it and that personal connection for a collection, such as my personal collections at home, is the same approach I took to the data and the research and the facts and the citations and the interviews that I, I, I curated, if you will, in my book. It's so important to tell the story and to help people relate to the information. And that's one of the ways that you really impact change. You yourself, Dr. Detweiler, because you really make the facts and figures come alive for people. One thing I wanted to ask about, you know, with all your traveling and your souvenirs, you had mentioned um, your tip about taking postcards and sending them to yourself with a little story. Tell us why that is important to you and some of the benefits. Postcards are inexpensive. They don't break because they're not glass. They don't take up a lot of room in your luggage. And you don't even have to put them in your luggage because you can literally mail them to your home while you're there at, at whatever location, whether it be Savannah, Georgia, or um, uh, Dublin, Ireland. And uh, my wife and I, while we've been traveling both for business and for personal vacations, we got into this habit of, hey, let's send a postcard to ourselves. But we also wrote a little bit of that narrative 
you know, we arrived here yesterday, enjoyed the city, it was so warm and beautiful outside. Um, it's those little details that you will forget a year, five, ten years down the road that we wanted to capture on the back of those postcards. We had been to several weddings before we got married uh, about four years ago, and we noticed that people weren't even going and signing the guest book. So we thought, let's do it differently. Every person who went to our wedding, and we knew who was attending, uh, we created a little card for them, uh, had a little sticker on it that had their name and it told them what table they were sitting at. But it asked them to peel off that sticker and to write a message to us on their postcard. And we had a mailbox. It became not only a memory, but an experience for everyone involved. When we went to Dubai, uh, my sister collects squished pennies and we went to the Burj Khalifa. Uh, the, the tallest building and way up at the top there's a gift center and they have one of those squished penny machines got to crank the wheel and uh, my wife put in the money and cranked the wheel and I was videotaping it my sister went on and on and on about the fact that we took time out of our trip to remember her to get that squished penny and we took a video so that she got uh, you know a view of just this unique location where we we uh, uh, you know, we, we squish this penny for her. It, it really adds to the value and increases the value in that personalized element in terms of, of who you're getting it for or giving it to. And again, I think that those experiences, these memories live far longer than that moment of, of getting that item. Well, I love that. And that's so in line with everything that I've been trying to, to tell people about as far as creating value and making sure that your space tells your story and don't just get a bigger house simply because you need a bigger house to hold all your stuff. Instead, pare down your stuff and make some money while you're at it. <laughs> Even when you're trying to sell something uh, that, that will make a difference in not only the life of the person who buys it, but also ultimately in that experience of the person who sells it. Because now it's not just getting rid of it, it's sharing that story with other people in the world and um, you know, kind of honoring why it was in your collection in the first place. I love that you added that. That's one of the tips in my book is when you're writing the ad, put in a line of why you're selling it and you're giving people a little glimpse into your life and that distinguishes you from a retailer that they could maybe buy the same object from. You know, they'll connect with me and that's one way where you humanize yourself by telling a little bit of your story, just one sentence, and that can help connect you to a buyer and make you have a more successful sale, particularly important if you're selling off extra things from your collection of uh, mementos. It's very important that we come out of this pandemic with a different mindset of how we purchase things, how we bring things into our homes, that we take responsibility as consumers to make sure that we know where the products came from. I mentioned before this idea of making sure you get some dry goods and some fresh goods and some frozen goods. We could say the same thing about some of the other things that we buy, collect, uh, need in our world. Uh, perhaps it's not about the big box stores. We need to also make sure that we're looking at the, the local mom and pop stores, the local stores in our community, and those people who are those craftsmen who are uh, creating things and, and making things um, you know, out of their own homes. I believe that over time we need to take in consideration that a healthy economic or a healthy uh, pantry uh, can be viewed as something that's diverse. 
Uh, that's going to provide us with a bit more sustainability and overall value and impact, not only in our homes, but also in our communities. I love that. Well, Dr. Darren Detweiler, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate you taking the time to share your insights with the listeners and the viewers. And you've given so much helpful advice that our listeners and viewers can apply today. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Again, his book is called Food Safety, Past, Present, and Predictions, and is available on Amazon. My name is Deb Colometta. You can reach me on my new Facebook page, on Twitter and Instagram, at Deb Colometta. You've been listening to Upcycling with Deb, and thank you for giving us your most valuable asset, which is your time. Tune in next time to hear more tips, tricks, and hacks on how you can start upcycling to live your best life life.